It is Friday, March 27, 2020, and coming up, the John Lennon region, our final region of the Now That's What I Call Madness, Volume 1. You'll hear from everybody. We got Bob Dylan. We got Prince. We got Bob Marley. We got Lady Gaga. Green Day even comes in there. It's a party. You won't want to miss it. So grab a friend, grab a drink, and keep it locked on the tune-up. Welcome on into the show. My name is Denny Gallagher, and I'm joined by the snail campaign provocateur, Mr. If I'm Not... Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> Denny. Yeah. Wait, yeah. I, I'm, no, I'm no rocket scientist here, but are you in a closet? I am. I'm trying something a little different. Do you like? <laughs> so so just a little heads up to the toot-up audience. Uh, Denny and I, you know, are doing some FaceTiming to, <laughs> to get these episodes out, and I just looked... In the background of Denny, and I said, "That's not your normal location." And I think you're in a closet. That's my bed, Denny, right there. Denny, what, what, what's going on here? <laughs> it's the tune-up after dark. Benny's got the lotion. Uh, Benny's got the scotch. <laughs> this got sassy. This got sassy. You mean this got sexy? I think we're gonna have to put Teddy <laughs> Teddy Pendergrass on this list now. I think he's gonna have to make it. Denny, all right, that's it, bud. Pop your shirt off. Pop it off. I mean, look at these fine furs I have right here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Beautiful closet. Yeah, there's nothing in this closet, by the way. Bachelor pad. All right, Benny. Before we get into the results of last week, I want to touch on, you know, a couple notable passings. I I know the coronavirus has captured the nation's attention and all that stuff, but two notable passings this past week. Curly Neal of Harlem Globetrotters fame and Kenny Rogers of... Could you even say we are the world fame? I don't know. I would. <laughs> but, uh, Benny, your thoughts on the, the legacy of both of these men? I mean, couldn't be more different men in a lot of ways. Right. Uh, well, I don't know. Personally, couldn't <laughs> tell you. Maybe they were very similar and hung out with each other. I do not know. But Kenny Rogers, the gambler, had a great career. Um, yeah, I think it's a little unjust to, to use we are the world as his, uh, <laughs> his benchmark. But, um, yeah, that's, that's a serious passing. And then also, yeah, Fred Curly Neal, who I had seen a couple times when I was younger. And uh, I think the Harlem Globetrotters don't get the respect they deserve for right. being just, like, great players and entertainers and also sort of like an American institution. I mean, this thing's been going on forever. And he's one of the more classic uh, members, I think, a, you know, potentially like a founding member of it. So... Uh, yeah, that's a big one, man. What kind of town did you grow up in? Did you get the Globetrotters come to your town, or did, did you get the Harlem Wizards? Uh, well, I don't think either were coming to my <laughs> town. A little too small. See, you know how there's the, the old joke when, when you live in New Jersey. is like, oh, what exit do you live on? <laughs> and I didn't live on an exit. Me I'm neither. out. Yeah, I'm like Route 22. No one knows where that is. <laughs> Globetrotters certainly weren't getting out to Somerset County, I'll tell you that. <laughs> I remember growing up that the high schools would have like the Harlem Wizards come and like the local fire department would just get smoked by guys that used to play in college. It was right, uh, right, right, right. But right. hey, raise money for charity and stuff like that. So Yeah, we need more of that. We need more good good visceral fun out there in the world. But I think you're exactly right. The Harlem Globetrotters definitely don't get enough respect for I mean, they're a arena act that travels the globe and has multiple companies so just a real institution and anytime you can get out to see them play it's a great time yeah and literally this guy curly neal played 
6,000 games in 97 wild. countries. 97 countries. And never I mean, took talk a day about, for load management. That's fucking wild. Uh, well, that's a fact. <laughs> talk about David Stern being the ambassador of the international game. Why don't you give Curly Neal a little love <laughs> for playing in fucking 97 countries? That's no joke. <laughs> All right. Now it's time to get into the results from the Joe Strummer region. And, Benny, this one was tightly contested. And I, you know... I've got a lot of these wrong. A lot of uh, my picks did not make it on through, so let's run these on down real quick. Uh, Pet Sounds, my Dark Twisted Fantasy by Kanye West, an absolute bloodbath. Pet Sounds, 72%. Dark Twisted Fantasy, 28%. I think think you uh, seriously undervalued how much people don't like Kanye West right now. Yeah. Which it, hey, it, it, it has nothing experiment. to do with records. It has nothing to do with records right now. People just don't like the man. Do you know how much you have to have mattered to have been canceled? Like me, I don't think I could get canceled because I've never mattered. <laughs> Benny, on the other hand, could get canceled. I get canceled. Yeah. 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 I'm actually a little worried about that. <laughs> I, I you know, like uh I'm so accustomed to running my mouth in an open forum where things won't get back to you and i i often forget i'm being recorded these days as a uh, so i'm i'm pretty close to saying something that's gonna get me in trouble actually moving on we had the clash versus nas london calling versus illmatic and yet again london calling 81 percent versus illmatic 18 percent. i'm a little upset by this one but i get it yeah you know what this one is gonna change though as time goes on that that's the thing about it is like Again, we got to realize the people listening to our show yeah. are more often than not Clash fans. So that that's just part and parcel with the voting. I don't think you're going to see a Joe Strummer or a Bruce Springsteen get spanked in a uh, tune-up tournament. <laughs> I just don't think it's going to happen. Right. But I think Nazomatic, as the years go on, is going to wind up on more of these lists, higher on these lists. It's aging well. So... I think we were bold to even throw it in the top 32 albums of all time. And, you know, this is like this is like the first year Davidson made it in, you know, or something <laughs> like that. Like it takes a little while to build the program. Yeah. You can't you, you can't topple London calling on your first your first tournament. All right. Our next result, this one. David Bowie came from behind to upset Are You Experienced by Jimi Hendrix. Yeah, that was a... Uh, I thought I thought Jimi had it in the bag, and Ziggy had a great fourth quarter. That's unbelievable. And then our final matchup of the region, Benny's Pride and Joy, Madonna's Like a Virgin, who I really thought you know should have had a better shot here, in hindsight. Falls to Michael Jackson. 70% of the vote is what Michael got. Just incredible right here. I'm surprised by that. You know, based on the context of what we talked about last time, it's almost a testament to how good that Michael Jackson record is. Because a lot of people are voting being like, eh, I gotta vote for it, you yeah. know? <laughs> so let's see how she does in uh, in the Sweet 16. As this progresses, we're going to have Pet Sounds versus Thriller. I still think Michael can get the edge there. And, and then we're going to have wow. London Calling versus Rise and Fall of Ziggy, which I, I, I mean, mean, I still think London Calling takes care of business. Tight mashup. Tight yeah, mashup. It's, it's going to pull on, on, on a lot of heartstrings. But let's get to this week's matchups, and we're going to the John Lennon region. Our number one seed, as we said before, Bringing It All on Home by Bob Dylan. And this is an incredibly important record. And a lot of critics have written a lot about this record because it's the record where Dylan, many people judge him for turning his back on the folk community. But it's the one where Dylan goes electric. 
Yeah, I mean, that is like, you know, this is one of those artists that you could choose a couple of these albums, like we talked about, to be the most important. But as far as the statement in music and when things shifted and a tide turned, this is the record. You know, he was like just a few years into like the New York City, Greenwich Village folk movement, which, you know, I obviously wasn't around, but I can imagine there was a very specific set of pretenses as to to the content you were covering and how you were supposed to be doing it at the time. And he was literally uh, despised by a lot of people for making this shift and playing electric guitar. But you even see it in everything from, uh, you know, his look to the album cover, uh, you know, the way he presented itself. You know, his records before that, you just saw this like scraggly kid who came from Minnesota and then, uh, you know, all of a sudden you see this like kind of confident looking man holding a cat in front of a fireplace with like a beautiful woman in the background. This this like, you know, stunning setup image. And, you know, it was like his time to make a jump. And I think I like how he did it without uh, looking back. And, you know, he made this album cover and he did it unapologetically and he shifted the course of music as a result. And we discussed this in the first thing, but one of the things that Dylan needs to be recognized for is him pushing lyricism to an entirely different level. And I think anybody who wrote songs and anybody who wrote lyrics after Bob Dylan, maybe not specifically this record, but just after him in general, uh, had to, to kind of up what they were doing and change things in a different way he literally changed the way a songwriter needs to write songs because he, he brought the bar up. And if that doesn't deserve a number one seat, I don't know what does. On this record, Bob Dylan d- decides to make the change in his musical style for whatever reason. You've been a part of a, a record where you guys kind of decide to change up your style a little bit. How hard is, it, is that decision to make and what goes into making that decision? Uh, a lot. Um, but I think the thing to make that decision and to be successful with it is kind of what I just said. Whereas like when the decision is made, you have to like not look back and you have to completely put blinders on and make sure that nobody is steering the course in a different direction because you're going to get people resisting it from the bottom of the process to the top of the process. And if you actually have a vision inside of that, you need to be like really, really, really steadfast in in that vision. And I think that's always one of the more commendable things when I hear a record like this or the way someone was doing it is, you know, a lot of people probably talk shit to him and a lot of people probably told him to do something else or advised in a different way. And the idea was so strong that that you went ahead anyway. So there's a lot into the decision. I think, you know, Bob Dylan wasn't necessarily in this position, but, you know, you get to a spot as a band if you've had some success where, you know, you could make some version of your most popular music and you could kind of play it safe and be able to hold on to most of your crowd or some of your crowd and continue having a career if you don't step out of the box too far and if you step out of the box too far you have a chance to be great and you have a chance to fall on your ass 
and it's a less safe path to take. So anytime it happens, I, I greatly appreciate an artist who takes that jump. Well, I'd say that this paid off for Bob Dylan because not only is it like an, an iconic album, but Subterranean Homesick Blues became his first song to chart. So, and for, I mean, for him back in the day, I can't imagine you go from playing places like the Gaslight in Grand Village for, and this whole underground scene to actually having a song on the charts. That, that must have been wild because I imagine the people around him changed too. Yeah, they must have. They must have. All right, then on the other side of this matchup, we have Born This Way by Lady Gaga, a album that really wasn't received well when it first came out, uh, has, has since grown with time, and has really become a watershed song and album for the gay rights movement over the past decade. Yeah, I mean, you know, what's interesting is, like, in her short career, you know, this might not even be the most complete uh, album as far as, like, you know, her... Her intro record with, you know, had a number of radio hits that might end up being longer standing songs. But, you know, she came at a time when, again, she had a choice to to make another uh, sort of safe pop record and go the way of a straight pop artist. And she decided to make a very strong left turn to a community I think she already knew was being embraced by and because of her past she also embraced so in the long scale when you look at this record i think it's going to be imagined as an emblematic piece to the beginning of something fairly revolutionary inside of this country so when you start talking about the most important albums and the best albums you know, it's not always about music. We've talked about this a bunch. You know, you could find Taylor Swift records with four or five singles that are quite good. They're good uh, songs and they're, you know, going to last for some reasons, but they're not going to leave like an intangible uh, mark on society or culture. And because of her look and the way she presented themselves and the things she said very explicitly on this record. uh, I think, yeah, she became emblematic of a movement and this record is going to be emblematic of that. So that's why it deserves some, some credit in a, in a top album list. And by the way, just to clarify, when I said it wasn't received well, it wasn't received well critically. It debuted at number one on the billboard 200 after having sold 1,108,000 copies its first week, uh, the 17th album to sell over a million copies in one week. So from a commercial standpoint, an overwhelming success. And side note, Denny. Yeah. Uh, my very talented wife made the panties for Lady Gaga in the Born This Way video. That's phenomenal. See? So. All comes back would, together. Use, so I use would the like, promo code. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I, so maybe a little nepotism in this region. If we can get an eight-one upset, I, I think uh, I think it would be good. Hashtag do it for Benny. That's what I'm saying. All right, moving on. Our next matchup, our two-seven here. We have Exodus by Bob Marley and going up against American Idiot by Green Day. This one I'm I'm a little worried about and an upset happening. I'm not gonna lie to you, but I think the Bob Marley record is so important here because. We just talked about Gaga. That was her second record. This iconic record from Bob Marley was his ninth. And it it came after an assassination attempt 
the assassination attempt happens in uh, 1976, and then he spends time after that in London crafting o- over this record. And really, it's it is the quintessential reggae album. It is, and what's interesting is, you know, I think that time in London and some of the things that Bob Marley was open to also kind of made this a little past a reggae album. He had incorporated some elements that allowed it to step out of reggae enough um, rhythmically and tonally uh, at times to, to kind of connect with a wider audience. So it's one of those things where, you know, it's a, a fallout of, you know, literally him, you know, an assassination attempt and, uh, you know, really upheaval in his country and a lot of things going on, um, which which led to that point. But it also led to him uh, maybe being exposed or being more open or just because he was there taking in different kinds of music. And that definitely led to a more uh, uh, lasting sense of this record. I mean, out of all the records we talk about, can you think of many records with more hits than Exodus, Three Little Birds, One Love, Jammin'? Like, all of these songs have been part of the uh, fabric of me growing up and stuff like that. Whether I knew it or not, they were just always on. Like, the fact that this record became so tied into... uh, you know, American culture in particular is really interesting. I mean, how many like white suburban kids have <laughs> stared at velvet posters, you know, and talked of revolution and peace and like these really, you know, uh, huge topics and things that Bob Marley was dealing with, like, you know, face to face. And they didn't even know they were talking about revolution, really, you know, like they just thought they were jamming all high and then you know got older and was like oh shit this is what's going on so again you know in order to make one of those great albums you need to transcend something and you need to you know be able to connect with different people in different way and this bob marley record did that as much as any record ever has i mean i don't think we've had a record in this competition that has been more ripped off, honored, sampled, however you want to, to call it. I mean, you go into any SoCal kind of taco shop that's trying to have their own kind of vibe, and a version of this record is playing, not to mention the artists that kind of inspired after it. I mean, like, you saw a group be commercially successful, like OAR, kind of try to merge, you know, like rock and roll and Bob Marley, and like Michael Fronte and Spearhead, like all of these contemporary artists that pretty much have stayed the course on this album. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And then on the other side of this matchup, we have American Idiot and Benny. This one, this one makes me feel good, and this is going to make you feel a little old for two seconds, so indulge me here. <laughs> this is a record for me that now, this wasn't my introduction to music, but for a lot of my friends, this was their introduction to what rock and roll could be. I'm not even kidding. Like, sure. the Green Day record. Makes sense. And yeah. un- un- unfortunately, I-, I think it's one of, like, the last rock albums that, like, a kid in school could like and, like, kind of not get made fun of for. <laughs> right, right. I mean, and-, and from my side, you know, being <laughs> a little older when this came out, was, like, to us, Green Day had been written off. Yeah. You know, and that was one of the interesting things about this record is like to a proper punk rock kid, we had already lost Green Day once. You know what I mean? They had already like been ours, been taken to the mainstream and then got bad. 
You know what I mean? And like, it's not like uh, they were doing well at this time and they made one of those leaps, like a famous leap. You know, the one thing that you really have to appreciate about Green Day in this record is that the bulk of bands that we talk about and the lion's share of bands we're even going to talk about in this list had one special moment in time. You know, you have one group of people and one run where you normally make like the best albums you're going to make and you can kind of never rekindle that. And there's only been a few, uh, there's been a lot of artists who have done it, but there's been less bands who have had their peak, then had like a lull, like a serious lull where, you know, they were literally coming off the, the, the worst received record they'd ever made. And not only came back, but came back, with a punk rock opera, you know, like they literally lost the punks to the mainstream before that. And then they lost the mainstream because they weren't doing good records and decide to come out with a punk rock opera. I mean, that's one of the most like bold moves you could possibly do. And I remember specifically people of my ilk talking pretty badly about it before the record came out because everyone was like, yo, fuck that. What's Green Day trying to do? A little big for their britches these days, you know? And then everybody heard the record and went, oh, shit. You know, and there wasn't one person who could just deny how special and big and great it was. And then to top it off, culturally, it's like, it's the George Bush record, man. Um, you know, it very much represents like the kind of post 9-11 George Bush, uh, Iraq war, you know, basically like everything the country was going through at that time is sort of represented on the record. And it's another reason that it's going to stay really pertinent for uh, for a long time. So, yeah, uh, they it, it, like I said, it's it's much harder to uh, return to greatness than, than maintaining it. Um, and I think this record is is super important for a lot of reasons. All right, Benny, next matchup here, we have Led Zeppelin's debut album, Led Zeppelin, iconic cover, iconic cover. If if you're like me and you've ever worked uh, classic rock radio promotions, you've given away more T-shirts than you can count to have this on it. But this is, this is the important record for heavy metal it kind of establishes it and really sets sets the base for heavy metal and your aerosmiths and everything that come after that yeah i mean this is a hard band for me to talk about because it's my favorite band of all time right so i could sit here and talk about led zeppelin for a couple hours and uh i could sit here and talk about john bonham for a good 90 minutes if you're up for it oh let's Um, do it (laughs) (laughs) but like to me, it's just the most undeniable hard rock band in the history of hard rock. Like, I don't think you've still ever had a group individually who were so singularly talented at each of their instruments, but also so good at writing together. I mean, I like that uh, game people play where, like, take a member away from Led Zeppelin. Who would you take? And I seriously, I go back and forth because every member is so crucial to what they're doing and then also the way led zeppelin presented themselves like almost as one of the last like great bands you know what i mean it wasn't about uh 
every every member's uh, accomplishments were so seriously highlighted through the band that nothing stood out from anybody else. You know what I mean? How often do you get a situation where like a drummer is almost as equally as noted as the guitar player who's almost as equally as noted as the singer? You know, Led Zeppelin had this way of presenting themselves as like the super band. And then they just set the bar for hard rock to a new level. Um, everything that came after it just had to follow uh, a new bar of, of writing and recording. Um, and they got better and better with each since. I think you could choose uh, a bunch of uh, Led Zeppelin records to put in here. So I don't know. I don't know how, how else to make a case for Led Zeppelin. <laughs> Well, I forgot to set up the matchup here up top. It's Led Zeppelin versus Purple Rain. Two entirely different albums, but they both kind of have a impact for what comes after it. Uh, let's get the Purple Rain for a, a little bit here. Uh, I really think that this is an album that sets the gold standard for the concept album. And, and to think that, you know, there's Prince before Purple Rain, and then there's Prince after it. And, yeah. I mean... He probably has, okay, this is going to sound super naive, but he, he probably has two iconic moments that kind of, like, immortalize him. This movie, and then when he's playing at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and he has that, uh, throws a guitar up in the air and walks out, and you kind of don't know what happened. That on the internet is fucking huge. So those, <laughs> those two things uh, are a small part of his legacy, but a lot of what people remember about him. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, Prince had a lot of interesting things. He also showed up on national TV with assless pants. <laughs> you know what I mean? He changed his fucking name to a symbol. He made everybody call him a symbol for many, many years. And that's one of the things I think I love about Prince in this record is like, so I've even used his, I've used him as an example before in this same analogy where we even talked about it earlier um, in the uh, bring it all home scenario. When an artist is met at a certain point of his career, and I can imagine Prince going in with this idea of Purple Rain, right? Like the idea that he had about how he wants to present himself, do it with a film. This is what the songs are like. This is what the concepts are like. And I just try to think of how many people along the way tried to tell him to do it differently than that and probably tried to knock him off course or probably tried to say this and this. And that guy from the time he was on Dick Clark show to, to his first record knew exactly what he was and exactly what he wanted to do from the get. So one of the biggest accomplishments for a record like this to me is even seeing it through from A to B. You know what I mean? Like, like making sure this concept actually lives out is really difficult. And then on top of that, you need it to be uh, extremely high quality. And the cool thing about Prince was that he was like, he played like rock music better than rock people. He played pop better than pop stars. He did... Uh, you know, some version of like late 70s, like soul and funk better than those guys and just incorporated like live guitar, pop, synth, like all this landscape of stuff that um, when you put it all together, it was sort of like a strangely genre list record. Um, and he was able to achieve, 
some really interesting musical and and sonic things uh, because of that. And it's not like you know he was a big star before that, but his 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 biggest song prior to this record was Little Red Corvette, which was like you know a big song, but not largely seen as something that was like vital or important. It's not going to get music. you to play halftime at the Super Bowl. Exactly. So so uh, and then to top it off, you know just Prince in general, just kind of through gender, race, genre, conventionality, like out of the window and was just this like unique star in the world of music that like there was nothing like him before. There's going to be nothing like it after. And it's, it's pretty remarkable. Well, I think it's incredible how this movie came, came to be. So he was on tour and he would see Bob Seger and he would saw the commercial success that Bob Seger and the Silver Bullet Band had and he was like like we're just as good if not better than them why the fuck aren't aren't we accepted like that so he's like all right my contract with my manager is up in a year let me leverage this so he goes to to his manager and he's like I'm only going to re up with you if you get us a major motion picture, it has to be with a studio, not some drug dealer or a jeweler financing. And my name has to be above the title. Then he'd resign with them. And the yep. manager goes out and does this. Now, baller. Keep in mind, keep in mind, it was budgeted by them at first, but then Warner Brothers picks it up for the distribution. But man, I mean, that is a power move and it changed the course of his life. Game blouses <laughs> our final matchup here all eyes on me by tupac going up against the ramones self-titled album the ramones uh let's start with all eyes on me all eyes on me crucially important first ever double full-length hip-hop solo studio album released uh, for mass consumption globally so with the production and all of that uh big album tupac i mean as culturally relevant as anybody at the time of the release. What are your thoughts about this record's place in music history? Yeah, important. And again, you know, it's partially because of the narrative, you know, around Tupac before and after and his death. And, you know, uh, one of the reasons that made him the most iconic. Um, but it's another one of those deals where, you know, not unlike what we've talked about with Pet Sounds or... Uh, you know, Kanye West or some people like that. This was a very crucial time for an artist, you know, like he was literally on uh, on bail from prison and he was, you know, uh, released somehow with a deal that involved Suge Knight and because of it wound up on Death Row Records when he maybe didn't even want to. And then you think about Tupac's past where like both his parents were, you know, active members of the Black Panther Party who were wanted by the FBI many times. And like, it's like he was on like some bizarre collision course with everything that happened when you see it on a long scale. And it's really pretty, um, pretty remarkable when you think about it. But for an artist like him, this is probably his most iconic record. He seemed to catch his voice and his cadence and the way he framed his lyrics was kind of at the apex of his skills. And I think this one to me is a lot like Nazilmatic, where like you can kind of see the, the tail off of any 
kind of West Coast hip hop for 20 years after this that kind of took or sounded something like this record. Um, and because that's such a huge uh, piece of music and he was such a big part of it, I think this record deserves its place. This record, more so than any, introduced a lot of people to, I mean, just the names on this record alone. You have Dre, you have Snoop Dogg, you have George Clinton, E-40, Redman, Method Man. I mean... Nate Dogg. Nate Dogg's on this. So anybody that was anybody in Los Angeles hip-hop was on this record, and it introduced an, an entire generation. Remarkable. That... And I mean, California Love is a song that will play forever because, you know, people from California love California, just like New Jersey people love New Jersey. And not only is it like one of those songs, but it's a great fucking song, too. So, wait, so you're trying to tell me that California people, you know, they get that, they get all these great California songs. And what do we get? One Bon Jovi album named New Jersey? That's it? <laughs> what else do I got? I mean,. This is bullshit, Denny. <laughs> they get all the sunshine. The rising is probably as good as New Jersey gets, and that's and, and that's about yeah. maybe Asbury Park, maybe nine eleven, but it's not even Yeah. I'll tell you the best thing that New yeah. Jersey gets. They get a uh, a crappy Ben Affleck movie. Yeah, there you go. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. They get the Beach Boys and uh we get we get New Jersey Drive. We get even Sinatra singing about New York City. We get it. Yeah. Cool. And then on the other side of this matchup, speaking of New York City, the Ramones and the Ramones self-titled album is considered an an, an establishing pillar of punk rock. This record, 1976, is literally four guys from Forest Hills, Queens, who are given $6,400 to record an album that like changed the course of music history after they recorded it. So just, it's like one of those stunning representations of a time where somebody found something so uniquely perfect. I mean, just uh, the attitude donned in jeans and leather jackets and long hair in 1976, it was like the anti-mod, the anti-pop. It just like changed everything from that point on. They were the quintessential punk rock band of America, and they always will be. Um, and that, just right there, uh, should put them on this list. But the cool thing about this record is the Ramones, even though they were like, you know, so young and just kind of grinding it out in New York clubs and stuff like this, songs are really fucking good. And they're these like overarching melodic rock songs, like put into the Ramones model. You know what I mean? You have the super fast 16th notes going on, on, uh, on the drums and just the down picking with all the, with the guitars and bass. And, but over the top of it is these soaring melodies to the point that, um, you know, something like, Hey, ho, let's go has been used in like stadiums all over the world ever since. And this was like literally something that cost $6,000 to record in 1976 and you'll hear it then. So, uh, and then it literally, you know, we wouldn't be talking about American Idiot on this list. We wouldn't be talking about hundreds, literally hundreds of bands that tailed off of what the Ramones did and stole from. Uh, yeah, it's it's uh, one of my favorites of all time. And and you know what? I think very much. I think it deserves to get passed in this category. I, I mean, it's, 
I mean, forget Green Day. I mean, Nirvana doesn't happen. And any of these scenes that you love in, in this country don't happen without this record. And just just some stats here, because we love stats on this. Uh, love stats. This record did not do well. It peaked at 111 on the Billboard charts. Surprise, surprise. But like everything does, people recognize quality, gets better with age, and now it's undeniably one of the greatest albums of all time. Yes. Let's run down the list here, make our picks, and then we'll get you out of here. First up, bringing it all on home or born this way. Who you got? Uh, we're gonna we're gonna stick with uh, bringing it all home for now. For Let's now, born this way. Let's bring we'll get born this way a couple more years to take to topple Bob Dylan. It needs some time. I love Bob Dylan. I was kind of advocating for this on this list, but you know I got to go with Lady Gaga. Born this way. All right. Woo! Next up. Bob Marley, Exodus, taking on American Idiot. This is a tough one. This yeah. is a tough one for me, but because of the the deep impact Bob Marley has had on my life, and particularly my family, with one of my sons being born to his song in the hospital room, uh, I will take Bob Marley, because if if you can have someone who's literally in Jamaica leading, you know, uh, uh, a people's revolution culturally. And then also, you know, 40 years later, a couple randos have it on in the delivery room to get their kid out in a good way. You know that, you know, that record means a lot. Exodus is going to be playing in a hundred years, 200 years. Not sure. American idiot has the same staying power. Got to go with Bob here. Yeah. Next up, Led Zeppelin taking on, Purple Rain, a tough one. I think this may be the this may be the thriller like a virgin of uh of of this setup. Yeah, this is one I I I, I have a feeling we got a six three upset coming up here with Prince, but uh, for for the sake of my own head, I can't go against Led Zeppelin. My spirit animal, John Bonham, who passed away the same month I was born, mm-hmm. and and I have a feeling that he gave me a little bit of his stuff. So I can't vote against John right now. I need to hear more about this because I'm all here for this theory. Oh, it ain't a theory, baby. <laughs> <laughs> I think I, I, I think that our audience is going to agree with you. I think Zeppelin's going to go through, but I'm going to go with Prince here. I mean, it's... I like the movie. I know a lot of people don't like the movie. I know the movie's a, a lot problematic, but I mean, the sure. album is undeniable. Got to go with Prince here. So you're you're gonna drown Led Zeppelin in the Lake Minnetonka, <laughs> and then get on my bike and drive away. Absolutely, sounds great. Sounds great. <laughs> all right, then final match up here: All Eyes on Me versus the Ramones. Benny, who you got? Easy one for me. This is the Ramones all the way. I gotta go with the Ramones too. I mean, I love California love, but I mean, I feel like this is a New York versus LA thing that we did here un- unintentionally. I'll take Shake Shack over In and Out. So. <laughs> Got to go with their moans here. Like that, like that. All right, Benny, we're running out of real estate on the podcast, which means it's time for the tune-up mailbag. You've got mail. You can reach us at the tune-up podcast at gmail.com, or you can tweet us at the tune-up HQ. A lot of great stuff. Thank you so much for the participation in our polls. It really means a lot. Our guy, Jack Curry, chimed in this week. Uh, very proud that we called last week's region that had Michael, Jimi Hendrix, Nas, The Clash, Kanye, the Joe Strummer region. Uh, you know, we may have low-key done that for him, but no, I mean, the Clash are going to go far in that region. Don't you worry, Jack. 
Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think you're good, Jack. You're covered. And I think, you know, Benny has everybody love everybody. I think I should start saying, without people, you're nothing. So, also, thanks for that, Jack. <laughs> I like that. He's a poet. <laughs> this one comes in from Sile Ritchie. I'm just going to go for it. I, people yeah, butcher yeah. my name all the time, so it's it's a little payback. I'm sorry, but he... London Kong versus Illmatic, it's unfair. And you're right. That, that, that was probably the most unfair thing that we could do. But you know what? A lot of this was unfair. Narrowing this down to 32 was unfair. Yeah, listen, man. Life is unfair. You just got to make a choice sometimes, you know? Plenty of ways to get in contact with the show. You can follow us on Twitter at the TheTuneUp HQ. You can follow Benny on Twitter at Benny Horowitz1, number one in your mind, number one in your heart, number one on Twitter. I am at Denny underscore Gallagher. Benny, you got anything else? Looking forward to uh, the Sweet 16. Everybody be nice to each other out there, and everybody love everybody. This has been The Tune-Up. <laughs>